Hey guys, it's Gary here from Horror Culture on Shiver. Just a slight trigger warning before this episode, and I honestly cannot believe I'm saying this before an episode about fucking killer fish. Uh, but yeah, a trigger warning for sexual assault. There will be deep discussions about fish and sexual assault. In a bizarre series of events, it's our Humanoids on the Deep episode. Hello, and welcome to Horror Culture Shiver, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And here we are, original versus remake, again, it's that time of month, and it's a Summer Scream special with films set during summer. But not filmed during summer. But definitely not filmed during definitely summer. Definitely not filmed during summer. We are discussing all three versions of Humanoids from the Deep. We didn't even know there were three versions. I, I didn't even know there were two. Like, I didn't three. even know there were two. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to say. So uh, let's get to the poll results. 1981 with 83%. 1996 got 0%. But They Bite got one vote. So 17%. Go you, They Bite. People are probably like us and didn't realise yeah. there were remakes. Um, because, spoiler alert, the original's not my favourite. Yeah, this is an unusual, this is very unusual, original versus remake for us. Um, again, I say again, we've discussed this whilst not recording, so I don't know what I'm saying again for. Um, this isn't, you know, the original isn't a masterpiece. So, usually with original versus remake, sometimes it's easy because there's, you know, a five-star classic at the helm of the films that we're discussing. But no, I mean, this is, you know, humanoids on a deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We tend to use original versus remake to discuss how bad horror remakes are. Yeah. Um, it's not often we're like, oh, that needed a remake or... Yeah. And there are films out there that have remakes and, and needed them and, and the remake is better. We just tend not to have discussed them yeah. so far within the podcast. Yeah. We've had a few, but I think the ratio is definitely we've discussed more with better originals. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, getting to Humanoids from the Deep, released in 1980. Um, I first heard of this film on Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments. Okay. Or 100 Scariest Movies of All Time, something like that, anyway. Um, I used to love shows like that. And I, I was I just found the premise really jarring, um, with what it's about with rapey fish. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I was still massively intrigued because I love a bit of trash. You know, I love an exploitation flick. Um, and and you know what? I like this film. I I do like Humanoids from the Deep, but that's not to say there isn't a lot wrong with it. Um. There is an elephant in the room throughout yeah. the whole film. I have a big section about it. Yeah. Um, when it comes to it happening in the film. So, yeah. Yeah. Directed by Barbara Peters, uh, who directed The Dark Side of Tomorrow, Bury Me an Angel, Summer School Teachers, Star Hops, uh, and episodes of The Powers of Matthew Starr, The Renegades, Lottery, Finder of Lost Loves, Shadow Chasers, and more. Um... Barbara Peters, I mean, I've never seen any of her films, but what a queen taking on a film like this. Yeah, 
yeah. we love we love women horror directors. Yeah, female horror director. You know, especially in nineteen eighty. Yeah. Um, especially working with Roger Corman. Yeah. You know, and we'll get into that, but it, it's refreshing. Yeah. To discuss a female directed film on the podcast. Co-directed, sort of, by an uncredited Jimmy T. Murakami. Uh, now. He's got an interesting filmography because he directed Heavy Metal. Ah. Uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, When the Wind Blows, The Easter Story Keepers, The Christmas Story Keepers, uh, A Christmas Carol 2001, Oi, Get Off Our Train. Right. Lots more, including, now brace yourself, Kate Bush's King of the Mountain movie video. Wow. Yeah. In 2003. Yeah. That was, if uh-huh. I remember correctly. It was. Um, Wow, okay. That, that's, some, that's a good music video. Yeah. I mean, he only directs, like, the sleaziest parts of the film, but, you know, he's still co- yeah. co-director. Yeah. It, it's it's the way Roger Corman was, where he would have directors come in and he would say, you direct this film, um, and it's usually a sleazy, cheesy film, and then we'll give you a better opportunity mm. afterwards. Um, I think, for me, the most famous... One of those is Jonathan Demme. Yeah. Director of my favourite film of all time, Silence of the Lambs, who directed um, Caged Heat, Mm. a women in prison film um, that I didn't like, if I'm being honest, for Roger Corman. But that was a gateway into directing films. Yeah. Joe Dante, you know? Joe Dante. um, It was Boxcar Bertha, Roger Corman. It may have been. Martin Scorsese. It may have been, because he was part of a distribution company, uh, Roger Corman, and he's got a lot of very sophisticated films under his belt. On one half of his filmography, but then on the other half, you have all these cheesy B-movies. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting. And you know what? He's got an impressive career. Lost a lot of appreciation for him after the uh, research for this film. But, you know, there's no denying... That he, he has created some classics, whether for the right or wrong reasons. Um, written by Frank Arnold, who only wrote The Macoma Affair. Uh, Martin B. Cohen, who only wrote The Rebel Rousers. And William Martin, who only wrote an episode of American Experience. Now, that's interesting that none of these writers are particularly experienced um, whilst working on this film. Because there's some interesting social commentary thrown in. Yeah. Um... The writing, you know, for the most part, isn't that bad. No. Do you know what? It could have been a case of, and I can't speak on their behalf, it could have been a case of, I'm going to write for Roger Corman, write this film, they did it, the film was made, and maybe they just didn't enjoy the experience. And they were like, you know, when we talk about the directors that Roger Corman has worked with that have gone on to bigger and better things... Well, there must be some who directed the film and thought, that was a really shit experience. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to do that again. Yeah. You know? Made on a budget of $2.5 million and an unknown box office intake. Yeah, I would... I don't know. I would assume it did well. I suppose. I mean, it's what people would have wanted we around that time. the extras... People spoke as if it did well. Yeah, but I mean, people spoke like it was the biggest money-making film of all time. Yeah. <laughs> but now for our feature presentation. Humanoids from the deep. 
They're not human, but they hunt human women. Not for killing, for mating. You can scream, you can run, you can hide, but they will find you. Humanoids from the deep, rated R. Yeah, so we start with anglers from the fishing village of Noyo, California, and they catch what appears to be a monster. The young son of one of the anglers falls into the water, <laughs> the great hilarity, and something unseen drags him under the surface. <laughs> Another angler prepares a flare gun, but he slips and accidentally <laughs> fires it onto the deck. How many times has this happened in films? Um, which is soaked with gasoline dropped earlier by the boy. The vessel bursts into flames and explodes, and everybody aboard is killed. Okay, so first of all, some amazing dialogue here. Uh, when the film starts, one of the fishers, fishermen are like, uh, don't shave all that shaggy mess until we fill all our holes, okay? <laughs> right. Ninji, um, how many holes are you going to shave today? Don't even, that's my favourite TikTok. Um, but also, the guy who's, the son who gets dragged into the water, um, dragged under the surface, that guy, his dad fucking hates him. He would really just, it, it's a weird thing where it's clearly like child labour going on, <laughs> but the father is so harsh to his son, you're a fucking idiot. Why didn't you fucking fill the gas? Oh, yeah, little shit. And then, but then when he goes overboard, it's like, I gotta get my boy. Oh. I gotta get my son. Yeah, because he, uh, <laughs> he'd have to pay someone to do the work. <laughs> well, I mean, what's your favourite scene? Uh, what's your favourite film involving a scene where someone accidentally fires a flare gun on a boat full of gasoline? I would say it's Cruel Jaws. Yeah. It has to be Cruel Jaws. <laughs> uh, a former podcast episode. Jaws 2 also does the same thing. Yeah, it's, it seems it's, to be a popular thing to do. Yeah. Is it, is it a popular way to go? People do this? I don't life? think so. It, it's um, it'd definitely be up for a Darwin Award if it happened Duh. in real life. Um, we get a bigoted fisherman, Hank Slattery, played by uh, Vic Morrow, referencing General Custer when speaking to a Native American fisherman, Johnny Eagle. Um, for no real reason. No. Um, except to establish that Hank Slattery is a bigot. Um, he says, your people may have won the battle, but we won the war. So the idea is that um, Johnny Eagle and uh, his Native American friends and family don't want a cannery, which... Um, I, through research, found out is where they put fish into cans, I think. Oh. Um, okay. I, I don't, I don't. I, there must be a different term for it here in the UK. Um, but they don't want it, and Slattery is all for it. Yeah. And Slattery being a grade A knobhead um, is a big bigot. Yeah. And uses that against Johnny Eagle and uh, his friends and family. Um, Jim Hill, played by Doug McClure. Mm -hmm. um, now, Doug McClure, I remember um, very much when I was younger. Never seen any of his films. But my father and my grandmother used to argue. It's before IMDb. <laughs> they used to argue over whether Doug McClure was dead or alive. <laughs> 
which I think is quite a common... I mean, we do it. We're sat there. We're like, is so-and-so alive? Is Joan Rivers alive? I assume he's not alive now. He's is not. It? And he wasn't back then either. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not old. I wasn't alive when this film was made. Uh, but Jim Hill and his brother, who I thought was his son, Tommy, witnessed Duh. the explosion. Later, Jim and his wife, Carol's dog, goes missing. And the pair find its dismembered corpse on the nearby beach. Rest in peace. Um, yeah, can I just say, as a horror movie fan for many years, it will always be the animal death scenes that get to me the mm -hmm. most. Uh, put a dog in danger and I'm hooked. The rest of the characters can <laughs> rot without character development. Yeah. <laughs> Give me some character development and I'll put you on par with the dog. Um, but put a dog in danger and you got me on the edge of my seat. Well, I mean, it must have been a terrible film for you then because not just one dog goes. No. It turns out the other dogs in the area, apart from Johnny's, have also been killed. Obviously, the bigoted fisherman led by Slattery believe Johnny is the culprit. Um, in a weird scene, we get a beautiful young lady in lingerie because Roger Corman only casts beautiful women he, he in does. his films. We, we did find that out through As research. we found out, he actually said, I only cast beautiful women yeah. in my films. You're ugly, you're fucked. Without a hint of... <laughs> irony. No, there's none. No, or he meant sarcasm. It. He meant that. Uh, well, this beautiful young lady is home alone with full fire force hair Peggy and makeup. Peggy before... <laughs> That's her name. Oh, <laughs> Who do you think Penny Larson is? <laughs> from the that seventies show. Um she looks like she's she looks like the sister from that seventies show. She's got yeah. Farrah Fawcett flicks. Um she's got a face full of makeup. Um she gets a nice little jump scare from her boyfriend. <laughs> Can you do the noise? No. <laughs> oh, oh that boy <laughs> makes like a tiger noise at her. <laughs> yeah, idiot. Um She's expecting friends over, though, so I'm not really sure why she's scantily clad <laughs> if she wasn't expecting him. Um, there's... That just happens. That scene happens. It does. And there's some sort of dance going on at the town hall. The old, that old white people town hall. <laughs> um, whilst there, a company called Kanko, including a lovely little scientist, Susan Drake... As her colleague refers to her, <laughs> we've got our lovely little scientist here, Susan Drake, and they're announcing the plans to build a huge cannery near Noyo. Um, if the evening isn't giving MAGA energy enough, <laughs> Johnny's dog has uh, been killed. Um, oh, Johnny's dog now has been killed and he crashes the dance uninvited because why would they invite him? Because he's not white. Um, and he crashes the dance to confront Slattery and protest the cannery on... Uh, I, I feel like it's on Native American land. Yeah. And that's the issue. Did you get some of the dialogue about the cannery? I when didn't the, know. the guy leading the town hall meeting is like, the cannery will be better than when God made the river and the ocean. Oh, Jesus. It's, it's giving MAGA. There's <laughs> red, white and blue as far as the eye can see. Everybody's old and white. Um... This all leads to a physical altercation and Jim and Tommy come to Johnny's defence. Yeah. So um, definitely the hero of the piece. Cause Jim he, and Tommy, not Jim Johnny. And Tommy. Oh, fuck's sake. Johnny is the guy that's under attack. Uh, Jim and <laughs> Tommy come to Johnny's defence. Any distinguishing features about Tommy? 
Mark Hamill. The fact that you couldn't afford Mark Hamill, so... Mark Hamill, the house down boots. Um, The following day, teenagers Jerry Potter and Peggy Larson. Uh Oh, there we are. Jerry in his short shorts. Jerry and Peggy go for a swim at the beach. Jerry is abruptly pulled (laughs) under the water. Peggy believes it is a prank until she discovers his mutilated corpse. Before we get to the serious stuff, can we mention how he gives her a finger up the bum in the sea? There's a close-up <laughs> of him scratching her ass. After another tiger her. noise. She she was like, oh, hun, I've got a really itchy crack. Will you get it for me? And it's right there. Um, Peggy screams and tries to reach the beach. Ooh. But a monstrous figure drags her across the sand. The humanoid creature tears off her bikini and rapes her. And that's where I'm going to stop you, because this is where the big bit of trivia comes in. Yes. Yeah, we shit you not, that actually happens. Um, in, in this film about killer monsters from the sea. Um, yeah, so essentially these monsters from the sea are killing the men and raping the women. Yeah. And that's a huge part of the film. Um, it was a big topic of conversation whilst we were doing our research mm. and between us whilst yeah. we were watching it. Very jarring. And I'm sure you've got a lot of fun. Well, yeah, I mean, and also this film, a lot of people on the documentary and uh, what they're making of and, and such, you know, are saying this, is, this film is meant to be viewed as a comedy. And a big part of the comedic value is the fact that these humanoids are really horny um, and sexually assaulted everyone. That's not funny at all. Like, no. in, in any form, doesn't matter who's doing it, it's not funny. No, so we've seen the old creature, some of the old creature features, so we kind of know where they're coming from in terms of this could be played as a comedy. Mm. Um, and it can, apart from these scenes. Yeah. And whilst we were doing our research, we watched the, the making of, and Barbara Peters didn't direct any of the rapes. Yeah, so as the film was being finished up, uh, Roger Corman felt that a picture needed more sex, nudity, and monster shots throughout. So he or, he ordered scenes shot that showed the humanoids attacking and ripping the clothes off of uh, young women. Director Barbara Peters, uh, who was a feminist and hated the idea, refused to shoot those scenes. I mean, you know, go on, Queen. Um, Corman said he'd hire a second unit director and get her f- uh, feedback before using new footage. So she agreed to it. But Corman ended up never showing her the new footage, uh, or any of the cast and crew for that matter of fact. Um, they didn't see them until the film was premiered, until the preview of the film. Yeah. Peters was furious, protesting that they were inserted purely just to show gratuitous nudity. Uh, Corman also edited out many scenes dealing with the plot and character development in order to make room for the nudity and more creature scenes. So Peters complained that it was no longer the film she made and wanted her name taken off it. Corbin said he'd do that, but only if she paid the expense of redoing the credits. She wouldn't, so her name stayed on the project. Many years later, Peters ended up watching the film on cable and admitted that it actually ended up being a fun little movie. But fuck me, either way, (laughs) Roger Corman, what a terrible person. Yeah, it's real dickhead behavior. Um, and it's the fact that he's like he wanted to add extra footage for more sex and nudity that's fine add more sex scenes yeah add sex scenes you've got you know three couples in this film 
Add some sex scenes. Exactly. Why does it have to be sexual assault? Yeah. And he didn't seem... Whilst we were watching the making of, um, and Barbara Peters had nothing to do with the making mm. of at all, um, whilst we were watching it, he seemed really pleased with himself. He did. Like, it was a fantastic idea. Yeah. And it was like, well, you know, let's get the this gratuitous nudity in mm. what is you know, rape scenes yeah. and sexual assault. And he said it as if it was going to get people excited, um, yeah. which is super fucking creepy. It really is. Um, but you're making a cheapo horror film. You know, we wouldn't be sat here discussing, you know, if it was just um, a throwaway sex scene or, mm. you know, go to a fucking strip club or yeah. something. Yeah. You know, we're all about sex positive and, gotcha. you know, if actresses want to do nude scenes, then, you know, go for it. Yeah. We're here for it. Yeah. But not in this way. It's no. really, really disturbing. It's very jarring. It completely ruins the film. It, it really ruins the tone of the film because, I mean, when you take those scenes out of it, You've got a fun B-movie with some social commentary thrown in, but not enough that really makes it a serious film. You can still have so much fun with it. Yeah. Um, but then you well, have Why these... can't a film do both? A, a film can do both. A film can do both. You know. You know um, many directors since then approved this. Um, and before that as well. Um, and like I said, you know, exploitation... We love exploitation films. Great. You know, and they're a lot of fun to watch. Who gives shit how much nudity is in an exploitation film? As long as an actress wanted to do it and she's been paid a good amount of money. Yeah. Then, you know, own it. Get but those checks. It's the fact that Roger Corman did all of this and wouldn't even show the cast and crew before he released it. That's just so sneaky. Um, um, and he also... The film was called Beneath the Darkness. Yeah. Before it was released. So he made the film under... He, he created this film under that title... So that he could get bigger names on this film uh, and people involved thinking, you know, oh, well, there's no there's no sex in this film. There's no nudity. This is gonna, just going to be a really good old-fashioned uh, creature feature. Yeah. But then to throw in all of this, it's, it's so sneaky. It really is. And it, there's even more trivia coming up about it. Um, but it's just, you know, Barbara Peters herself uh, said if, if she knew that's what it was going to end up being. She never would have signed on. No. And I think it's telling that he did this to a female film director. Yeah. Because... It's easy. Because it, in some ways... And I, I'm not speaking on his behalf, but what it feels like to me is that if there's any issue with it, well, we've got a female film director. That's what I was about to say. It's, it's an easy get out uh, yeah. of jail card for him because... If, if anyone, you know, kicked off about it, oh, we've got a woman director, so what's the issue? I haven't seen that many Roger Corman-produced movies. That, that I know of. He, he's got his finger in so I, many I think we've pies. unintentionally seen a lot of Roger Corman Probably. Movies. But to my recollection, I can't think of any that uses rape scenes mm. in a cheesy B-movie no. to get the audience off. No. You know, it because why would anyone do that? Why would anyone do that? So he's done this and it stinks of misogyny. It mm. really does. It does. Because it does. he's done this to a female film director. Yeah. Yeah. Hasn't told Barbara Peters that he's doing this. Yeah. Completely behind her back. Completely changed the film that she made. 
has now her name mm. synonymous with the fish rape film. Yeah. And it may have ruined her career. Okay. Because, oh, Barbara Peters, she did Humanoids from the Deep. Mm. That was if. And maybe in 1980, people weren't as up in arms about it. Mm. But, I, you know, they surely fucking would be now well, there if was you a got a film like that. Absolutely. There's a moment on the making of where um, he actually said that Barbara Peters had a go at filming some of the scenes, the sexual assault scenes, and she did it through silhouette yeah. on rocks um, so that it wasn't as graphic or as jarring. But it wasn't good enough for him. He, no. said, that's, he said sometimes you just need a man to do it. And get fucked. What a twat. So he, he either managed to do more graphic rape yeah. scenes. And, and spoiler alert, the remake actually does this part of it better. Oh my god. Both. Both of them. Yeah. El eliminate the graphic rape. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. So. so. Two more teenagers are camping on the same beach that same night. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, In the bizarre me. series of events. Yeah, um, well, Slattery's <laughs> spying on Johnny, and he spouts more of his bigoted rhetoric at the bar. Um, Jim agrees to disagree with Johnny about the cannery. Um, I, d I don't know why we had to have Jim agree to disagree. Mm. Um, he's our hero. You know, beyond Johnny's side, it's fine. Right? Unless, unless uh, Roger Corman thinks that he's going to... Uh, um, have an audience that might not be on Johnny's side. Well, yeah, they're just I mean... as bigoted. They're probably the ones getting their jollies off the uh, scene previous. Um, they agree to disagree about the cannery, but Tommy and his girlfriend Linda, being the younger generation, agree to listen to Johnny's side. That night, two more teenagers are camping on the same beach. Uh, Billy is about to have sex with his girlfriend Becky when another humanoid monster claws its way inside kills him and chases Becky onto the beach. She outruns her assailant, but then runs into the arms of yet another monster who throws her to the sand and rapes her. Um, and another one, like, straight away. Straight it's away. Just... This I mean, one with probably more graphic nudity it did. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's a shame because also before that, it's a really bizarre yet funny scene yeah. where... Um, we get Chuck the ventriloquist dummy that Billy has in his backpack. Um, and Becky's like, oh, nothing's coming off until you show me it. Come on, at least show me the head. And it's a ventriloquist dummy. Yeah. Who gives a running commentary of Becky undressing. Yeah. Why well, can't you just have this? Exactly. Just have that. You've got your nudity. She's undressing. It's a comedic scene because the dummy's chatting shit while she's doing it. It's silly. It's B-movie. You have to have that afterwards. And, mm. and I don't want to dwell on the point too much because... I mean, it's difficult not to. It's difficult not to. But um, I, th I think we've got our point across. <laughs> it's shitty. And yeah. Roger Corman's shitty because of it. Um, a little bit of trivia, which doesn't help the situation. Um, Lisa Glaser, who played Becky, uh, had her lips turned blue during filming. And instead of helping her, they just added more lip gloss. Yeah. Um, Johnny's home... I think that really says it all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Johnny's home is set on fire by Slattery and his men, with Johnny, Tommy and Linda narrowly escaping. Whilst trying to extinguish the fire, Tommy and Johnny are attacked by one of the humanoids, 
with Johnny saving them with his shotgun. Linda, whilst driving to seek help, gets attacked by a humanoid too, eventually driving over a bridge with the vehicle exploding. Yeah. As Tommy is rushed... I know, yeah, what, what the fuck did Linda do? <laughs> uh, as Tommy is rushed to the hospital, Johnny, Susan Drake and Jim go to search the area for humanoids. Uh, Dr. Susan Drake explains the humanoids from a scientific perspective. Um, to which... To which... Um, it's named Jim. It is Jim, isn't it? To yeah. which Jim, Jim says, Well, you're damn sure of yourself. <laughs> and Susan Drake, being a queen, says, I have to be with men like you around. <laughs> um, we then get a sickening... Um, Photo shoot on the beach <laughs> with the humanoids. Susan Drake is in a scene-stealing yellow exploring suit, and she really makes it work when many people wouldn't. It's given me WWE divas <laughs> in the Bahamas beach photo shoot. I mean, it, it's so funny. It's so so funny. I don't even know who it was supposed to be, um, but it's just the way she's going for a proper photo shoot whilst this humanoid trying its best to attack everyone. And then Susan's dressed. For ocean activities. She is. Um, she's not in a two-piece, but she's in like a, a bathing suit. Whereas, um, for some reason, Jim and Johnny are still like fully dressed. Yeah. Like, but like proper like wind dress. Yeah. But before they get, the, before they got to the, the photo shoot scene, um, she drew... <laughs> She draws a very accurate portrait of a human. Yeah. And she's like, is this what it looks like? And like, no, that is the ex that is exactly what it looks like. How she's did you know that? <laughs> she's given her a best Neil Buchanan. You know, it's incredible, that artistry. Um, Peggy is found alive, yes. though severely traumatised. And uh, we find out that the murderous sex-hungry mutations are apparently the result of Kanko's experiments with a growth hormone they had earlier administered to salmon. The salmon escaped from Kanko's laboratory into the ocean during a storm and were eaten by large fish that then mutated into the brutal, depraved humanoids that have begun to terrorise the village. Uh, Queen Susan Drake has been trying to tell them for a long time. Um, she calls one of the Kanko employees a stupid ass for not believing her. Yes. She explains that the humanoids, like any intelligent creature, are protecting their habitat and perceive man as a threat, but also see the evolutionary benefits of mating with humans too. Yeah. Which is an interesting point. It is. Badly dealt with in the film. Um, why is it in these films that the, um, the doctors are always women? <laughs> I'm thinking Piranha yeah. and Barbara Steele. Um, and they're also, if I remember correctly, they're the reason for it as well. They're trying to fix something that they've created. Or am I making that up? No, sounds accurate. Like they've found something yeah. and it's been used um, um, for the wrongdoing. Well, fun fact about Anne Turkle, who plays Dr. Drake. Um, she chose to do the film because it was an intelligent, suspenseful science fiction story with a basis in fact and no sex. And there we go. In fact. Uh, so is it a lot of these scientific explanation scenes I and ones dealing with environmental mm. issues that were cut? 
Maybe, yeah, yeah, because I mean that's what she was really interested in, and apparently she hated it once it was changed. This film could have been, if dealt with correctly, quite similar to The Fog. Yeah, I think you know very similar setting, mm-hmm. very similar aesthetic. Um, it's you know not ghosts, but you know man-like creatures yeah. coming out of the ocean. Could have been very similar, mm-hmm. and uh, but still kept a B movie sensibility. Yeah, it's unfortunate. This was before the fog, though, wasn't it? Same year. Oh, same year. Yeah, same year as the fog. Um, the village's annual festival has now begun. At the festival, many humanoids appear, murdering the men and raping every woman they can grab. Yes. Um, so, fun fact about this scene: there are only three humanoid creatures seen together on screen in the same frame throughout the film. The production really only had one functioning humanoid costume and two others that could only be shot from certain angles because they weren't as convincing. Uh, use of such angles as well as the editing would help to create the illusion that there were much more humanoids uh, than just three for the carnival massacre. That kind of works. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know the difference until I read I wasn't that. looking no. for it. I mean, if, if I looked for it, I'd probably find it. But um, Jim devises a plan to stop the humanoids by pumping gasoline into the bay and setting it on fire, cutting off the humanoid's way of retreat. Um, do you know who I feel sorry for in this fucking scene? Carol. Carol. <laughs> well, not Carol. I'll come up. Carol and her body double. <laughs> no, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get back to Carol. Uh, poor Miss Salmon. Miss Salmon. Oh my god, what a queen. Miss Salmon, giving us Helen Shivers. She is realness. Looking like Shannon Elizabeth, though. Looking like Shannon Elizabeth, <laughs> but she's the beauty queen of this seaside town. Everyone, because this certainly wasn't filmed in summer. No. Everyone running around wearing jumpers, trousers, gloves. I swear I saw a few pairs of gloves. And Miss Poor Salmon, (laughs) Poor Miss Salmon (laughs) is there in a fucking bikini, trying her best not to look like she's (laughs) fucking shivering. um, Whilst the majority of the extras are wearing sweaters and coats. Yeah. Um, Quite gory actually it's part of the this really scene, great scene in particular is quite gory yeah. with heads being ripped off and, and pretty decent special effects yeah. um miss salmon's bikini top is ripped off before she hits a humanoid with a rock and flees so i think she survives i'm I ain't even mad at ripping off a bikini top and that's saying that's campus tits well, it's excuse, campus, excuse the pun yeah that is campus tits and if, if it's played up as a comedy you know yeah as long as the actress is fine with it. And she, you know, she gets hers. She whacks it over the head of a rock. Exactly. Uh, Slattery and Johnny work together to save a young girl. Johnny saving Slattery's life in the process. They hand each other a Pepsi, start making out before declaring <laughs> Shut the, fuck the end of racism. <laughs> what? I honestly wish they just let Slattery die. The same character in both versions of this story. I really wish he just died. Yeah. Uh, but no, the, racism is cured. No more racists no. in no, that town anymore. Uh, and with the humanoid's way of retreat being cut off, the crowd, i.e. men, start fighting back. They do. And seemingly this result, they it's kill the, the humanoids. The men, because it's only men you see. Apart from Miss Salmon. Miss Salmon. God bless her soul. What a queen. God bless her soul. She didn't die. Um, you know, props to her. What a queen. Uh, meanwhile, Carol is attacked at home by two of the creatures, but manages to kill them before Jim arrives. 
So, I got Yes Queen, obviously. <laughs> but also, interesting fact, the actress playing Carol, Cindy uh, Weintraub, refused to do a nude shower scene. So they inserted a shot from a body double without her knowledge. Yeah. Uh, now, she was interviewed um, in the featurette, and she she didn't hold any grudges. No. Really. Um, but, again, really shitty thing to do. It is. But... Because people are going to think it's her, and then she... Oh. What's you know, the if difference cast- with this body double, though? What did they do? Well, it was behind a curtain, wasn't it? it was yeah. Almost a silhouette. Do you, do you not have um, in your trivia what they did? No. They purposely cast someone with much bigger breasts and a better body. Oh. Uh, to in their words, a better body. Oh, um, in their words. Yeah. Well, and, how would they know? And I seen it. Didn't tell her, and it was only at the premiere that she saw. Oh wait, why are my boobs so big? Who the fuck is this? Like, yeah. So I, obviously she knew she was getting a body double, but they yeah someone with. Um, a much more audience-friendly figure. Right. Sounds like bitter men who didn't get yeah. their way. Uh-huh. Um, but that, you know, that could be damaging to a career. But just don't have the shower scene. You've had so much nudity already. Like, in your rape scenes that you wanted to include the titillation and comedy. But, you know, you've got your way. Whatever. Why does this even need to be in there? Well, I mean, why do we need to see the shower? Yeah. Like, if she didn't want to do it, she didn't want to do it. No. That's it. It's not integral to the character. No. You know, she's, she's you know, a mother of one, mm-hmm. married to our rugged hero, Jim. Yeah. She doesn't need that nude scene at all. No. It's not really not necessary. Um, what is necessary is... Her kicking the shit out of a human arm. Exactly. <laughs> but I also need to find out what hairdryer she uses, because her hair... <laughs> After being in the shower is dry and perfectly curled in a matter of yeah. minutes. Like, really, it's incredible. I could make millions from that. Uh, the morning after the festival, normality seems to have returned to the village. Jim asks the sheriff about Dr. Drake. The sheriff mumbles that she went back to the lab where she is coaching a pregnant Peggy who has survived her sexual assault. Peggy is about to give birth when her monstrous offspring bursts from her womb, with Peggy screaming at the screeching baby. Um, and that's how we end. It is. Um, what's going to be a sequel called The Next Generation, where the creatures had learned to... The Next Generation? <laughs> the... the creatures had learned to talk, um, and it was planned and set to be released in 1991, but never materialised. Thank God. Uh, yeah, so that's Humanoids from the Deep. That's Humanoids from the Deep. I, I, don't, ha- I don't hate it. I think it is a good film, minus those scenes. Like, those scenes really ruin a lot of what could have been great about it. Yeah, it, it feels like a film of two halves, and it is a film of two halves. Mm. Um, so I'm not saying the footage shot by Barbara Peters is a masterpiece. But it had a lot more interesting ideas yeah. than the film eventually had mm-hmm. overall. So, I an issue I had with the film, apart from the sexual assault side, is something like racism not being dealt with fully. No. Um, the, the kind of ecological side of it isn't really developed as far as it could have been developed. No. Um, 
I think, you know, the violence is, is there. You know, we all love a good, gory horror film. Yeah. But the 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 message gets lost yeah, by the end. And I think it could have been a lot more than it was. Yeah. Um, I'd very much like to see a Barbara Pierce director's cut. Yeah, if that exists. If it exists. I mean, I feel like it would be so much better. Yeah. So next up we have They Bite, released in 1996. Now, both of these remakes were released in 1996. Uh, written and directed by Brett Piper, who directed Mysterious Planet, Galaxy, Mutant War, and Nymphoid Barbarian uh, in Dinosaur Hal. Dinosaur Babes, Screaming Dead, Muck Men, Outpost Earth, etc, etc. So I think we get the picture what kind of director he is. Yeah. Always at the Oscar ceremony. <laughs> Budget $130,000 and it was straight to video. Now, interesting fact about this one. This is more... If I knew what this film was like before watching it, I would have done this as a separate episode. Because as much as it is technically a remake and IMDb is right... It's more of a parody yeah. of Humanoids from the Deep. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really interesting, but let's get to it for our feature presentation number two. Featuring Miami Vice's Charlie Barnett. It was weird, man. The fish things attacked the club, and one of them, one of them caught me, man. The immeasurable Ron Jeremy. Listen, you don't have those cans of whipped cream, do you? You know, the spray on kind? And introducing Playboy Centerfold, Susie Owens. Remember that they're real. They're hungry. And they bite. We open on Black's Island, Florida, uh, where a model is working it in the sea whilst a photographer orders her to smile and flash some teeth. The model is fuming about how cold it is. The photographer says to her, let's take a long walk on the pier. And she says, I'd like to see you take a long walk off the pier. <laughs> She's not having it. She's she is fuming. She's having a terrible day at the office. A long day. <laughs> um, he says, let's try it without the top. And she says, try it without your own top, sweetheart. There's no problem, but I don't want people seeing my boobs. Yeah, she uh, she says, I don't want a bunch of weirdos getting off over my headlights. So, oh my god, okay, immediately you're talking about <laughs> things that are wrong with the original straight away. Yeah, yeah, it, it was really refreshing, because I didn't, I didn't know what to expect no. going into the film. We were like, oh okay, we're going to have a nude photo shoot, wonderful, great, you know, it's going to have no context to the rest of the film whatsoever. No. It doesn't really, um, but it's nice to see her fighting back. A little bit. Yeah. And sort of coming around to it. Yeah. But on her own terms. Yeah. The photographer goes over to a hut to take the pictures from far away, uh, which convinces her to take her top off. She flashes her ass and soaks herself with a hose um, before saying to him, in a bizarre series of events, before saying to the photographer, who clearly fancies her, by the way, and is wearing white trousers. Yes, that's important. She says, gotta change your shorts, homo. <laughs> Okay, how's he a homo? He's been preying on you this entire time. <laughs> that reminds me. Slight tangent. Um, but it might be an interesting fact for the listeners. Change of shorts. I found out recently that that famous Kelly Rowland line uh, yes. in Freddy vs. Jason wasn't in the original screenplay. Fuck off. 
and therefore it may have been a decision on the day or a Kelly Rowland ad lib. <laughs> well, she's allowed to say it. Kelly Rowland's allowed to say it. Is she? She's, well, yeah. The Why? gays have decided. Well, do that's gay Twitter. They've decided. Oh, because the commander. Oh, well, probably, yeah. yeah. Um, she's a gay icon. I'm sure she's not actually homophobic. I don't think so. <laughs> Um, Just a little tidbit for you. Back to the our future presentation. Yeah, um, gotta change your shorts, you homo. Are the last words spoken by this queen before she dives into the water and is attacked by a humanoid. All whilst the photographer continues taking photos. Yeah, and not helping. She's calling for help, and he's like, just taking photos. I'm trying. I'm, tr I'm trying to help. We get his the photos. photos are pretty much just copies of stills from Jaws. Well, yeah, it? really. Um, we get the photos during the opening credits, and then a gay icon yells at her kids and tells them to wait for her and stay together on their way to the beach. She's one of the best characters in film history. Um, she went to the beach, she served cunt, and then she left. <laughs> she tells her kids off for calling her mum because it makes her feel old before reading her husband to filth for the porn mags he hides in the couch. She is giving me Mink Stoll. She She's got that 60s look to her. She looks a little like Mink Stoll. She's always got the sunglasses on. Um, but I, I'm assuming Mink Stoll wasn't available. No. Um, but yeah, loving her. Yeah, one of the kids could running up to her crying and she is fucking fuming. She tells the kids she's never taken them back to the beach again. The son shows her a severed hand that he found. Um, the police arrive. They think the hand is a leftover from a shark attack. So the mother, <laughs> they, they were like, uh, oh, it's just like finding uh, rain in a thunderstorm or some shit like that. They, they mentioned a thunderstorm. And uh, the mother's like, well, I don't let my kids play in thunderstorms. So this is the last time we are coming to this beach. Yeah. And then storms off. And that's the last we see of her. Did you get what the police officer said? No. Nice woman. Dress is kind of frumpy for the beach, though. <laughs> <laughs> You were kind of hoping for a death scene for her, weren't you? Uh, well, I just want to see it in the whole film. Yeah. Um, the police receive angry notes about people shooting porn in Dixon Cove. Right. And uh, they receive the photos of the model being Dixon attacked. Co I just realised it's called Dixon Cove. Um, they they receive photo the photos of the model being attacked by uh, a humanoid. And uh, they decide to keep it quiet and ask fish expert Dr. Melody Duncan for help. Melody Duncan... Absolute queen. Um, she's introduced telling her neighbours to stop having loud sex. She calls the police on them because the noise is deafening and it sounds like they're partying or something. Yeah. Um, Melody Duncan, she looked like she uh, <laughs> wrote one of my favourite albums from the 90s. <laughs> she's giving me female angsty singer-songwriter. And I'm loving it. Yeah, to annoy her neighbours back, she turns on some loud 80s music. Um, and they, they're they like, hey, we're, hey, keep it down in there. And she's like, I've been trying to get some sleep for the last two hours and all I can hear is some bitchin' heat. Bitchin' heat. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, this film is genuinely, it, it is a comedy. So it's actually doing its job really well. This, yeah. is, this is actually supposed to be funny. And, and it is, is funny. There's laugh out loud moments. It, it is a satire on porn and monster movies. And it nails both. Um, she gets a call from Deputy Ross to check out the humanoid photos. 
We find out the neighbours are the ones shooting porn and uh, Madonna wannabe actress Tammy tells them she's not a piece of meat. Something the filmmakers, including director Mal Duncan, yes, he has the same name as Melody Duncan, uh, Ron Jeremy as Daryl and Charles Barnett as Larry uh, are trying to talk about in their film. They're trying to talk about the way women are treated in society. Uh, they want to make the King Kong of porn. I yeah. mean, come on. This, whoever wrote this film is a fucking genius. This is great. This is fucking great. Do you not think that Tammy warped so Britney Snow and X could run? I have got that in my <laughs> notes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tammy is great. She is such a great character. Again, empowering female character who chooses to be a porn star, chooses to get her gear off, and uh, is aware of the way women are treated. And the fact that these filmmakers are trying to make porn about the way women are treated in society... Whilst they're remaking and parodying a film where women are treated horrendously, it's it's great. Yeah, and I think it's a deliberate thing. Yeah, it's oh, definitely it absolutely a deliberate, is. Absolutely deliberate is. thing. Ron Jeremy, um, piece of shit. If um, yes, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Uh, he buys porn supplies, including a large sausage from a convenience store. And who's he served by? Um, <laughs> the number one, be Arthur lookalike <laughs> on the planet, like identical. She, uh, I love her. She, she looks like Dorothy. She kind of acts like Dorothy yeah. as well. She's not best pleased. <laughs> she grabs that large sausage, doesn't she? Does he buy condoms? He does, yeah. Condoms! Condoms, <laughs> Rose! He also buys alcohol for an underage boy. The underage boy brings the alcohol for his friends, uh, and one of them is far too happy to claim wine callers, to which she says, I like wine callers. <laughs> Yeah, um, doesn't translate, but so I'll translate for us. A wine cooler is a drink made of wine, fruit juice, and sometimes a carbonated ah, drink, okay. like lemonade. You get those in a can. So, turns out, we kind of like wine coolers. It's true, it's true. Is it, is it not cool to it, like wine coolers? Oh, I, I don't know. I mean... Is one of my favourite lines of dialogue in the film, so I think... Yeah. <laughs> um, they go out on a boat, they all end up in the water and are attacked by a humanoid that managed to kill some of them uh, before people in hazmat suits arrive to tase them. Yeah, <laughs> that happens. The porn crew and... Uh, because they're stupid kids, they vow not to tell anyone. They do, yeah. Because it helps with the plot <laughs> of the film. The porn crew and Tammy uh, want to... They want to... I've got it. Madonna want to be again in my uh, notes. Um, bump into the local reverend. Let's call him Michelle Visage. <laughs> reverend Rex uh, and his wife, who tell them to find Jesus, and uh, Reverend Rex wants to commune with Madonna later. It's revealed that the porn director's name is also Mal Duncan, and he picked up Melody's parcel with the humanoid oh, photos, oh no. whereas Melody got the parcel with some porn star modelling oh photos. No. So fucking funny. This scene is so silly, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> porn producer Sam Nikoloff, who is clearly a parody on Roger Corman... <laughs> He has a meeting with the cast and crew uh, and they realise uh, that they have the humanoid photos. So Sam thinks that instead of uh, making what they were doing before, they should make Invasion of the Fish Fuckers, a sci-fi film about horny fish having sex with women. Ring any bells? <laughs> the crew decide to make it. 
It'll be bigger than deep throat. <laughs> you mean deep trout. <laughs> um, Tammy's not too pleased. She no. said, first it was apes, now it's fish. There's a limit to what I will do for my craft. <laughs> um, Did you get what the taxi driver said to Sam? No. When you hauled up? So, um, Sam says, keep the change. And the taxi driver says, no, having you in the cab was reward enough. <laughs> you keep the quarter. Get yourself a decent cigar. <laughs> we get to see a fake trailer for Invasion of the Fish Fuckers. I love this part. Some great love dialogue it. where the scientists say, if we don't stop them, women with big tits won't be safe anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I had a dream sequence for Mal Duncan. Yeah, this is an very much played out like an old black and white yes. um, horror B movie. Yeah, um, this was when I realised it's a parody of Humanoids from the Deep and not a remake. Yeah, that's a oh okay, I see what's happening here. Uh huh. Particularly after everything we learn about Humanoids yes. from the Deep. Um, Melody Duncan gives Mal Duncan his photos back and goes for lunch with him. Where he tells her that he needs to get his hands on those fish suits from her pictures. Yeah. Tammy tells Sam that she wants more money uh, for her role. And the Reverend tries asking her to let him save her again. So she agrees to let him save her on his yacht tomorrow. On his yacht. <laughs> the porn crew start filming on the beach with the cheap humanoid costume. And Tammy getting an erotic massage uh, with sun cream. Where she's moaning about her mouth movement moving. She is. Uh, Melody Duncan storms onto the beach and gives Mal Duncan a talent off for stealing her submarine. Uh, and she ends up knocking him over with a punch. Yeah. Um, Sam takes a liking to Melody, doesn't yes. he? Yeah. Um, Mal says, uh, <laughs> this is what leads to the punch, is uh, he says, um, if she can't afford a deposit, Sam liked your tits, so you can have a part <laughs> in the porn film. And then she punches, punches him. <laughs> Kate and Debbie, uh, two random characters, are on the beach when a humanoid attacks them. Yeah, this was very in, in the trailer a big deal made of. Yeah. one of the girls I can't remember which. I think it's Kate. Um, is played by a Playboy model. Uh -huh. Playboy playmate of the, yeah. Playboy playmate of the month. Yeah. Um, drains Debbie. <laughs> Like, somehow, like, they have these things that stick out of them, these humanoids. I don't know if it's meant to be their cocks, but it just drains people. Like, it removes all their skin and their insides. I don't think it's, it's meant to be their cocks, but I think... What is, did we watch a film where it was comedy, where an alien got out a straw and stuck it in someone and... Stuck... Am I thinking killer clowns from outer space? It may be, yeah. Yeah, it sounds similar. I think it's kind of... Like yeah, yeah, I think I think they're eating her. Mm. They're they're bloodthirsty. Yeah, yeah. Kate is attacked off screen. Um, in a bizarre series of events, her boyfriend finds her uh, and takes her home, where she starts getting all saucy with him. We see something moving in her underwear. But he fell out with her because she wouldn't put out. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, something's moving down there, and in a bizarre series of events, her underwear comes off. And she has a fucking humanoid vagina. Yes. The face of a humanoid on her vagina. And I shit you not, for a film made for 
straight to VHS in the 90s, it looks fucking incredible. It does actually. <laughs> it looks way really better than it has any right to. Someone put some effort into this uh, and it bites off a boyfriend's dick. And yet, yet somehow this makes more sense than the piranha scene, the piranha sex scene in Piranha 3 Double Oh yeah. This is way better than that. Um, now, we watched a VHS version of this on YouTube because there's nowhere else to find it. Um, and after that scene, she she's on the beach again and he takes her home. So I don't know if it's a dream sequence or if there's just an error on a version we watched. I think it was an error on the version. But I've wait, I'm glad this happened. It was so good. Um, the porn crew get a pizza delivery and the pizza guy... Uh, clearly a take on film critics, informs Sam how stupid the fish rape premise is and how it makes no sense and sits there reading his film to filth and Sam is fuming. Yeah, I think it's a play on uh, the idea that, you know, this working class person can have a really big insight into films. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's what they're, they're getting at with that one. Yeah, he tells them how stupid a fish rape film is. Um, and this is when I was like, okay, I'm certain this is a parody yeah. of Humanoids from the Deep. Yeah. Tammy and Reverend Rex are on his yacht and start getting it on when a humanoid interrupts them. Tammy thinks it's one of the porn crew in the fake suit. Um, but the humanoid punches Reverend Rex's head off. And Tammy jumps off the yacht so she can swim to safety. Um, yeah, punches his head right fucking off. Proper Jason takes Manhattan style. Um, Tammy reaches the beach and is almost run over by a random guy in a van when he misses and runs over the humanoid instead. Yes, yeah. Um, did you get the bit where the pizza delivery man and Ron Jeremy try to explain what a parody is to Sam? No. <laughs> Again, this is it's quite meta. I mean, nineteen ninety six, the the year of meta horror, yeah, apparently. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, trying to explain to Sam what a parody is mm. um, to a character that's clearly a take on Roger Corman yeah. um, in a parody yeah. of a Roger Corman film. Yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> a um, wheel within a wheel. The rest of the crew go to help Tammy on the beach and Mal takes a uh, picture of the humanoid to Melody. He agrees to take her to the humanoid if she gives him the whole story. Uh, they go to take a look at the humanoid corpse, which is apparently circumcised, we find out. Uh, <laughs> we do, yeah, we do hear that he's Jewish, which is, is the joke. Yeah. Melody uh, reveals that she is a freelance journalist for the Midnight Herald and not a fish doctor. She heard she's from, both. She, is she both? She's both. I thought she was one or the other. No, she's both. She heard from sources that a ship went down with radioactive containers not too far from there, which, which could have caught, created the humanoids. Uh, and uh, <laughs> very bizarre series of events for us. One of the characters says, I watched a movie about that once. It's called The Horror of Party Beach. Next week's podcast film, Next everyone. Podcast. And you do, you know, there, there is correlations between all of these films, yeah. which I found, particularly this year with Summer Scares, is that a lot of the films are very similar in content. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of radioactive, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of ecological sort of messages to yeah. the films as well. 
Um, Larry says, uh, this place is creepy at night. All we need now is Vincent Price. To which Daryl says, on this budget, are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> Melody and Larry take the corpse in the van whilst the rest of the crew go back to the hotel. Uh, Melody and Larry break down next to a club where a guy with a great moustache is hosting a wet t-shirt contest. And it was at this point that I realised Alexandre Ayer owes some money to the director of this film. No. Because this is Piranha 3D. Years before Piranha 3D was a thing. Yes. A parody film with all this stuff. It's it's very yeah. Piranha 3D. I will give Piranha 3D a bit of credit when I say there is a lot more energy to that wet t-shirt contest <laughs> well, yeah. than there is in Day Bite. <laughs> because there is no, no energy on. There is no stage presence. No, chari no charisma. No. Nothing. Melody's fuming about it, isn't she? She's, she is fuming. <laughs> so she asks one of the girls to put her top back on uh, after she takes it off. And the girl's like, fuck you, and slaps her in the face, which causes a fight to break out. Yes. Um, yeah, The it wasn't the winner that took her top off. It was uh, one of the others. One of the others. Fuming she didn't win. Humanoids rise from the water in a shot, a really great shot that references Carnival of Souls. Um, and they make their way to the bar and start attacking everyone. Yeah, they've had enough of the wet t-shirt they, They've had enough too. too. <laughs> uh, the guys in hazmat suits show up and make the humanoids disappear with their laser guns. They take Larry and start scanning his brain for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Melody is reunited with Mal and they go underwater in their submarine together. Yeah, just like Jane McDonald did just in the like Caribbean. Just like Jane McDonald. They discover a pod with someone inside. Larry comes swimming from it, goes back to Daryl, um, and starts explaining he saw a light when he was kidnapped and that they're all from another planet. He found all this information out. The ship was transporting the humanoids. Yeah, because the budget of the film's running out. An amazing way of ending this film. He explains the ship was just transporting the humanoids and they needed to stop for repairs. Yeah. Melody and Mal join everyone else and they witness the, sp the, the spaceship flying away and then we get the end with a question mark followed by end credits of all of the cast dancing. Yes. Um, dancing <laughs> like your mother-in-law at a wedding. Yeah. Um, yeah, the dancing's not good, girls. No. Um, and it... it unsurprisingly fish-centric song yeah that plays over the credits too i i honestly think that film is so good i really 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 enjoyed it um really surprised me because i thought it was going to be the most dodgy out of the three because straight to video in the 90s uh you know the artworks got a woman in a bikini that's the big selling point you think remaking humanoids from the deep this is going to be even sleazier than the original you know, more of the sexual soul. It's just going to be all out, but no, absolute opposite. The absolute opposite is just a parody of Humanoids from the Deep, and it's so funny. Yeah, it, I, it felt less seedy, less jarring, um, way for me, way more enjoyable than Humanoids yeah. from the Deep. Like we've said throughout, plays like a parody. Um, it's a little longer than it should really have been. Um, I thought that ending was a bit out of nowhere. 
I think maybe they ran out of ideas yeah. by the end. It's a weird one. You can get away with it, you know. I think it's funny. A film like this. I think it's funny that it's anticlimactic, considering how forced the ending of the original yeah. Humanoids in the Deep is. Like, they had to have their big finale. Whereas the finale for this are just like, oh, yeah, no, they're just getting repairs and they're just flying off. It's just a wet t-shirt contest yeah. in the bubble. Um, but it had some real laugh out loud moments. And I, I really hope it gets a Blu-ray yeah. release. Great female representation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It really does deserve it didn't a release. It feel um, that word that I'm looking for. Exploitative. Exploitative. It, yeah. it really didn't. And it, you know, it. If anything, it commented on exploitation. Yeah. So that brings us to Humanoids on the Deep, 1996, written and directed by Jeff Yarnis, who directed Blood Fist 5, Human Target. Nice. Best one in the series. Born Bad, My Fantastic Field Trip to the Planets, and an episode of Black Scorpion. Uh, budget unknown, and it is a TV movie. So, yeah. In 1996, what was going on that year with Humanoids from the Deep? I don't know. Like, 16-year itch or something? Apparently. Um, but yeah, the other remake. Our feature presentation, number three. Emma Sams, Robert Carradine, and Justin Walker... The attack has begun. Humanoids from the deep. Yeah, so the United States Army conducts experiments on death row inmates in an attempt to create the perfect amphibious soldier. And the resulting man-slash-fish hybrids escape to the open ocean. Uh, we start the film with a decapitation. We do. Which I was very surprised by. I'm not... When I think TV movie in America, I think watered down. Yeah. So it was... I was quite shocked yeah. that there was a... You know, it's not the goriest, bloodiest decapitation, but it was still a bit like, oh, wow. Um, you know, maybe we don't understand TV movies like we thought. Apparently know? not. I mean, immediately as well, it's obvious that this one is... Unlike the last one, this one is taking itself seriously. This wants to be a serious film. I think so. More serious. Yeah, which does make for a lot of entertainment. In the nearby town of Harbour Shores, canning company Canco Industries is under fire from local environmentalists for dumping toxic chemicals into the harbour. Um, so we see a difference here. Mm -hmm. It's not the Native American community. No. It's environmentalists. Yeah. Um, we're looking at 1996, so the whole sort of college students, Greenpeace yeah. thing, it was a very hot topic. Um, so I can see why they changed it, but it's a shame because they could have further developed what they the original yeah. didn't manage yeah. in the end. So it, I think it's a bit of a shame, but I understand because yeah. it was a hotter topic at yes. the time. Um the disappointed head shakes from the environmentalists um, are an acting revelation. <laughs> what is that? There oh, is... Uh... <laughs> you know the end of Cruel Intentions? And I yeah. love Cruel Intentions. 
but that really awkward kind of, and it, it's it's camp and it's a classic but when uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar's found out and then all the people around her are just like shaking their heads <laughs> it reminds me of that there's, there is an acting revelation here yeah a certain performance a certain performance that if this film didn't have it i'm not sure how watchable it would be no because this makes for a lot of entertainment for yes. all the wrong reasons so the the environmentalists are chanting leave the fish alone <laughs> to which a canco employee bill says don't you people have whales to save which was a little confusing because isn't that what they're doing now? That's what they're doing. They're protesting you, <laughs> dumping shit into the sea. Like, is that not what they're... Are they not trying to save the whales here? Do you have done what he does next? He um, pees into the ocean to further annoy the environmentalists. Before we mention why this scene is so funny, you have to introduce someone. Yes. Um, head environmentalist Matt, played by Justin Walker who starred as Christian in one of our favourite films, Clueless, just the year previous. Um, he... He gives a performance <laughs> of a lifetime, doesn't he? He tries his best to be dramatic. Two things Christian from Clueless can't do. Dramatic performance and straight performance. It, it... But I don't think he's getting in real life. Well, then that is a special kind of actor then if he he's better at playing gay than he is playing straight if he's straight in real life. Yeah. Um good, it's better. He <laughs> He smiles. He does. <laughs> he smiles he at does. Bill whilst Bill is standing there with his cock in his hand, pissing into the water, before taking a massive swing and going Leave the fish alone! Leave the fish alone! What the fuck? What are you doing? What What are you going for here? It's just such a weird, weird scene. It is weird. Because it... I mean... I don't think I've ever... Well, I probably have, but... Made eye contact with someone whilst they're peeing. Particularly into the ocean. Very, very... And then start shouting in their face. Um... It's not only Bill that Matt's fuming with, he also calls our rugged hero, <laughs> Wade, uh, who's also a Kanko employee, but this one's got a conscience. And he, but <laughs> barely. Matt, barely. But Matt He's still, barely conscious. Matt still calls him an asshole. <laughs> As asshole? That sounds so weird to say. I don't know why I typed it out. Asshole. Um, yeah. Played... Wade is played... Not by Chuck Norris, who I thought they wanted, no. but played by Lizzie McGuire's Lizzie dad. McGuire's dad. <laughs> Love it. Love to see it. Well, I mean, he's also the dad of Alicia Silverstone, apparently, in this. Yeah. Um, awkward when that evening, Matt turns up to take Wade's daughter, Kim, out on a date. Yeah. Can we talk about how much she looks like Alicia Silverstone, please? She does look like Alicia Silverstone, played by Danielle Weeks. <laughs> they wanted the whole clueless cast and they just could not go. Well, I did put Justin Walker type cast in the blonde daughter <laughs> and approving father suitor role. <laughs> uh, or potential suitor in clueless yes. that never really happened because of obvious reasons. In front of Dorothy. Friend of Dorothy. Uh, Kim and Matt have a romantic moment by a body of water. No, I'm not really sure. 
a lot of these films I'm confused by what's the sea, what's the ocean, what's not. It's just a body of water. Uh, it's in- interrupted by a large creature they believe to be a dog. Yeah. Spoiler alert, it's not a dog. A kid falls into the ocean. <laughs> a kid, much like the original film, to great hilarity, a kid falls into the ocean off a boat, followed by his mother in a horrific floral dress, both seemingly eaten by a shark. Camp TV interview with the boat captain, who's questioned about why the boy didn't have a life jacket. <laughs> Uh, For some reason, Wade is allowed to join in with the autopsy and asks the coroner to measure his shark bite scars against the boy's dead body. (laughs) Um, Again, surprisingly graphic since we see the kid has been torn in half Mm -hmm. and only his top half remains. And we see that. Yeah. Wow. I thought this was a TV movie. Um, Why is Wade allowed to join in with the autopsy? I I have no idea. Who is Wade? (laughs) He's just a Kanko employee. He's just a Kanko employee. Why is he, like, getting involved in police matters? <laughs> uh, when a Kanko employee fishing in the ocean dies in an explosion while dumping toxic waste... How does he die in the explosion? Well, the, it's a cigarette this time, isn't it? <laughs> well, two of them die. So the first employee is killed below deck by one of the humanoid creatures. Uh, and the explosion caused by a cigarette, the other... <laughs> Employee dropped in surprise yeah. when he saw a humanoid. So that's our first humanoid death, though, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, the environmentalists filming them alert the Coast Guard. So it's important that the environmentalists were filming this happening, <laughs> the toxic waste being dumped, because apparently we dump toxic waste during the day. Why wouldn't we do it at night? But anyway, it was during the day, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, Bill, Wade and Chums are having a drink at the local bar when Dr. Drake, pretending to be a reporter, turns up and Bill gets into an argument with Matt. Um, That night, Kim goes skinny dipping with her friends and all but one are pulled under. So the environmentalists are Kim and Mm -hmm. Matt's friends. Um... They're pulled under where the humanoids keep the female victims in giant cocoons to use for mating purposes. Yeah. So this is how this version deals with the mating part. Mm -hmm. Kill the men, mate with the women. Yeah. And there is nudity in this film. There is, yeah. And yeah, it could be seen as exploitative. I mean, it's just kids skinny dipping, you know. You get that in lots of films, you know, slasher films. Oh, loads. Um, but the mating part is they are all just put into this giant egg. Yeah. Um, yeah, it looks a bit shit. I'd rather see that. But it's it it deals with that part of yeah. it. You know, if you're going to have... If your main premise is kill the men, mate with the women, this is a much better way yes. to deal with it. it is. Less exploitative. Yeah. You know, it gets... You know, if, you, if you're desperate for nudity in the film... Have a skinny dipping yeah. scene. Um, what I don't understand is these environmentalists who have watched and filmed someone dumping toxic <laughs> waste into the water yeah. then decide to go skinny dipping mm-hmm. in the same water yeah. that they witnessed someone dumping toxic waste into less than 24 hours previous. Mm-hmm. That's what I don't understand. 
Um, so they're kind of punished for their stupidity, let's be fair. Whilst all this is going on, Bill and Chums try to steal the tape from Matt's home, but to no avail, they can't find it. Matt, the lone survivor of the humanoid attack, insists to police that they were attacked by a monster. Who works for the police? Podcast regular and living legend, Clint Howard. Second time this week. Yes. Like, it's only our Tuesday episode where you literally said, I'm sure it won't be long until uh, Clint Howard pops up again on our podcast. Here he is. (laughs) Um, Playing, what's his character's name? I've just gotten that as cop. Deputy. Okay. That's his name in IMDb. Okay. Just deputy. Um, did you enjoy the way Justin Walker said the word <laughs> why? Yeah. Clint Howard goes, okay, let's go through it again. And Christian from Clueless is like, why? <laughs> and he's like, why are you just dicking around? I got Justin Walker not giving the best performance. Clint Howard isn't exactly Oscar worthy himself. We haven't got much to work with. I mean, so in comparison, I'll give him benefit of the doubt. Um, Wade is also present. Uh, pre- excuse he? me. Wade oh. is also present behind two uh, behind the two way glass. Why? For Matt's in the words of Christian from Clueless. Why? <laughs> I'm not sure is in keeping with protocol because if this guy is potentially going to be charged for your daughter's murder. <laughs> I don't think you're meant to be no. present. So whoever this Wade is, he's allowed behind the scenes of all the police uh-huh. protocol. Yeah. He's allowed at the autopsy, yeah. everything. Um, Matt returns home to his very boring cabin to see it overturned. Very boring cabin. It is. Very sad. Um, because they've got no evidence to prove he did anything. So he's allowed to return home. He reveals that the tape was hidden behind a painting on the wall. Conveniently, the only thing Bill and Co. didn't disturb. Mm -hmm. Wade saves a couple from a humanoid and realises Matt is telling the truth. Uh, The man having half of his leg ripped off in the process, they say, uh, that he saves. After Bill and his buddies attempt to kill Matt with dynamite, he and Wade who saves Matt from the explosion, meet with genetic scientist Dr. Drake. Not sure why she was posing as a reporter, not really explained. (laughs) Um, And she tells them the truth about the army program. Dr. Drake, played by Emma Sams, who I believe was most famous for starring in The Colbys. Dynasty. A dynasty uh, spin-off. She had a main role in The Colbys. But obviously, because it was a spin-off, she had episodes um, in Dynasty. Now, I may be wrong, but I believe it may have been her character that was abducted by aliens in the <sighs> Colby's. I may be wrong. Um, but yeah, good old Well, good then old she, need, she needs to get out of that habit then, because, I mean, it's not that long before. Well, she's had <laughs> all these issues with aliens. Um, I got here, and I, I did say it briefly earlier, why are films like this so reliant on a scientist developing something dangerous, yeah. being surprised when the dangerous scientific discovery is used for harm? <laughs> like, okay, well, you did it. You know, why are you so shocked? <laughs> it's like if I built a cannon, 
and then was surprised when it went off yeah. and killed an ostrich, uh-huh. you know? Several more attacks follow, and a local woman gives birth to a humanoid, which escapes into a storm drain. Um, the woman who gives birth to a humanoid, very much John Hurt's in uh, Alien. Yeah, very interesting that they, they brought this forward in this version, uh, rather than having this as the ending. Yeah, that's true, actually. Um, The woman, we find out, is the ugly-dressed lady from earlier, Timmy's mother, um, because that kid was called Timmy. I don't think he was called that at the time. No. Um, Played by Susan Hubley, who was married to Kurt Russell in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Played Priscilla Presley in uh, John Carpenter's Elvis TV movie. Uh, She was in... Um, Vice Squads and um, Hardcore. Yeah. That great George C. Scott film. And she was the woman at the beginning of um, Escape from New York. Yeah. Um, it's a shame, really, because very small role, but mm-hmm. a, a memorable role. Yeah. Uh, Bill's wife, who looks like both Aunt Hilda and Zelda, she does. with a little bit of Meg <laughs> Ryan. Much too good for old Bill. <laughs> She's kidnapped. Yeah. Sadly, his dog Buster is killed too. Yeah. In what looked like footage taken from the original. Uh-huh. Um, so it is more apparent later. Mm-hmm. But potentially this was footage taken from the original yeah. too. Clint Howard is saved by Matt and Wade. He is. By... A- I- Flaming arrow. <laughs> I have here Lizzie McGuire's dad and Christian from Clueless saved Clint Howard's life. <laughs> yeah. Never thought I'd have to write that sentence in my life. Uh, yeah, I don't know why though, because he's such a throwaway character. <laughs> he's going to have had a death scene. You know, it's Clint Howard. Um, he investigates a strange noise slash disturbance down the yes. manhole. Uh, whatever on that one. Do we even see him again? No, we don't. That's the last time we see him. Dr. Drake spills the tea on the news. And I mean to the (laughs) very letter. She lets it all out. She does. Bill and Chums are arrested for blowing up Matt's cabin. Mm -hmm. The woman who gives up, the woman gives birth, exploding uh, stomach. Uh, Dr. Jake deduces that as they haven't recovered any female victims, the humanoids must be keeping them for mating purposes. Mm -hmm. Um, which I assumed meant for mating purposes in the big egg that they must take their clothes off. Yeah. Um, which made me think that they gave Season Hubley that hideous floral dress back. <laughs> like, okay, you're pregnant now. We'll let you go. Please take this. We haven't got anything for it. We don't want it. Take it. Take your dress back. They find a body on the beach, dead after also giving birth. They think it's Kim, but it's not. And everyone, therefore, struggles to care. <laughs> but it's, it's really traumatic it's scene. True. And um, it's Kim's friend, one of the uh, environmentalists, who looks very much like her. Yeah. Which I'm sure was a deliberate choice. And there's this scene, and Lizzie McGuire's dad is um, very sad. Everyone's very sad. Oh, oh. Oh, it lingers, you know, we get some close-ups. They're trying to cry, but it's not really happening. 
And then they like turn the body over, find out it's not Kim. It's not Kim. This is oh, this is fucking ridiculous. That is a body cast made of Kim. I don't care what anyone says. That is her. That looks exactly like her. But she did look very similar to her friend earlier. Um, Much to Matt's annoyance, they decide to dump toxic waste in the ocean as some sort of way to lure out the humanoids. Um, It works, and the humanoids are fucking fuming. Uh, One of them shoots out its tongue into Dr. Drake's face and pulls her (laughs) into the water in a hilarious <laughs> image. Um, Bill, Matt and Wade are read the riot act by the military and the police for getting involved. To which the sheriff, or the head of police, says, don't make me lock you up. To which I questioned why Bill wasn't locked up anyway, <laughs> considering he was broken out of jail yeah. by Wade and Matt. Yeah where he was arrested for the attempted murder of Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, has it all been forgotten? Is all <laughs> forgiven now? Is Matt not holding a grudge? Seemingly not, because it's no. not mentioned for the rest of the film. When the humanoids attack a fair at the docks, our intrepid heroes track them back to the underwater cave where the humanoids have their nest. After a long fight, the lair is blown up with explosives. Yeah, and it's by the, the military. It's during the sequence where we get the most obvious reused footage from the original, yeah. and that's the only thing dragging this film down for me. That's so lazy. It like, is lazy because you don't have to have this. No. Anymore. So you get footage from the original of people falling off the mm. dock and all that. Even when they're approaching, that is from the original. Yeah. You yeah. Know, so much of this is. Our heroes spend most of the time in a very boring funhouse, yeah. hunting down the humanoids. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill is a terrible shot and kills his friend. Dr. Drake wakes up in the egg thing and plans with Kim to set the egg on fire as the slime stuff is flammable and Dr. Drake has a lighter in her pocket, <laughs> uh, luckily. The military plan the explosion, not caring about whether the kidnapped ladies will get hurt or not. So Matt and Wade dive down and save the day after yeah. Dr. Drake and Kim set their planned fire. After the explosion, the smug military officer lights a cigar and gets his face eaten by a humanoid that <laughs> swiftly kills. The next day, all the victims are given pregnancy tests. All come out negative except Dr. Drake, who goes into labour while in her car, suggesting the threat is not over. Which is a really great ending. Yeah, really great ending. Uh, The doctor taking the test suggests a time of the month issue prevented Kim from getting pregnant. Uh, Whatever that means. Um, Bill is in trouble with his wife, who says, next time I scream, you better move your ass. To which I still question, he did try to murder someone, right? Yeah, why is he still alive? Why is he getting the comedic ending? Uh, Dr. Drake's initial result was a false negative. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, if ever there was a time for 100% accuracy, <laughs> it's now. Maybe do a few tests. Yes. Yeah. You know, just to make sure. Maybe do some sort of scan or, you know, not just a pregnancy no. test, considering what's gone down. Um, credits roll as some low-key college rock plays. Messed up on the inside, 
by Willoughby. Absolute rip-off of R.E.M. Such a rip-off, <laughs> but I love it. I love that uh, 90s college angsty rock music. I love it. And yeah, I wish they would release it because I would listen to it on Spotify. Uh, yeah. Another, another really good remake. Uh, yeah, the only thing, like I said, that drags it down for me is obviously the fucking performances are fucking dire. Um... It really takes itself so seriously. Yeah. And the reusing the footage, what's the point? But at the same time, there's a lot of things that does better than the original. For, as you can probably tell, we had one huge, mm. humongous issue with the first film. And I have to give credit to this one yeah. for dealing with that yeah. so much better. Mm-hmm. So much better. The other parts of it, obviously it's not an original you know, idea. No. You know, it's a remake. The reworking of the footage from the first film, it's lazy. Performances aren't the best. You know, I had a lot of questions at the end. Yeah. You know, the it, yeah, it does what it does. It does it well. I was entertained. Mm-hmm. Will I watch it again? Unlikely. No. But, you know. So getting on to the cinematography scares, kills and soundtracks comparison round of our awards section. We have 1980, and I think Bell is a good job of filming this film because it's just, it looks very damp and dingy. I mean, it doesn't bode well for us in the summer episode. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, atmospheric. Uh, yeah, like there's, there's a, a dirty feeling there that even without those certain scenes, you know, she sets the tone really well. Um, the kills, I think, are really good. Uh, with really great practical effects, especially that decapitation scene. I think the humanoids look great. Um, yeah. And, and there's a really great soundtrack as well, um, especially during the carnival scene. They only use the carnival music, which I think really adds to it. Yeah, yeah. I really like the look of the film. Uh, again, reminiscent of The Fog. Yeah. Uh, I like that kind of look. Um, scares? Yeah. No, not really. Um, kills, yeah, fantastic effects, mm-hmm. you know, gory, which, you know, we always love in a cheesy yeah. B-movie. And the soundtrack was very good. Yeah. Um, they Bite has some surprisingly great moments of cinematography, specifically the moment where they're attacking the bar, from them ra- rising out of the water to the moment where they grab one of the girls from the window. It, it all looks really good. Um, the kills as well look great. Cheesy humanoid suits. What more could you ask for? Um, yeah. Which are used towards jokes. Um, and the soundtrack has some really cheap and cheesy sounding synth score, which I was a fan of. Yeah, yeah. The cinematography was good. I th- I think what we need is a cleaned up version on a blue. Yes. Definitely. And then we could really give our opinion on that. I yeah. think because obviously we watched the original on a Blu-ray. So yeah. Nice and clean, you know, so it's easier to see all that. Um, scares, there aren't any scares, it's no. a comedy. Kills, yeah, there were some good kills. Yeah. You know, again, it's a comedy, so I wasn't really there for mm-hmm. the, the gore and such. And yeah, a good good soundtrack. Yeah. I'm, you know, frequent listeners of the podcast may realise that I'm not the best with remembering soundtracks. 
you know, there's obviously ones, real classics that stick out. But just in a general film, I think I forget to listen to the soundtrack, especially when I'm making notes. Yeah. So it, I always do struggle with that one. Um, 1996. It's got that classic TV movie feel to cinematography and the soundtrack. Absolutely. Apart from the uh, R.E.M. ripoff. Um, again, not really scary. Um, some of the best kills, though. I think the kills are really good in this one. Um, yeah, they're less frequent. Yeah. Decent practical effects. Yeah. Uh, humanoids look good. Yeah, can't really complain. Um, I think cinematography, I, I would give it to the original. And soundtrack, I'd give to the original. I agree. Scares at a push, I'd give to the remake? I, I don't know. It's really hard to say. Um, That's a difficult one, because I didn't find any of them particularly no, scary. No. I'm not sure if that was ever the um, intent. So, no. yeah. I, I would give it to the remake. And, uh... Scares, kills... Kills, I would give to 1996, yeah? Yeah. I thought it had better kills. Yeah, not no, as many of them, but yeah. you know. Um, so characters. Now I had to really try and figure out how to do this. One. Yeah, this is gonna be a difficult one, isn't it? The male lead. Uh, so Jim, played by Doug McClure in nineteen eighty. Mal Duncan, played by uh, Nick Bowdiser in They Bite, and Wade Parker, played by Robert Carradine in nineteen ninety six. Doug McClure, I think, gives a good performance. You can tell he's a veteran actor. Yeah. You know, he's, he's doing what he can. I think veteran actors know how to phone it in. Yeah. Without looking like they're phoning it in. But, you know, it, it's not the most interesting character. No. He's the only non-racist old white man. So that's... Yeah, it's true. But still, you know, he's on the fence as well. Yeah. Which makes it weird. Um, Mal Duncan. Great character. Like, a, a male character I actually gave a shit about. He, you know, he takes a backseat to the other Mal Duncan. Yes. I'd say she's definitely more the lead. Yeah. Um, but still an interesting enough character with, you know, more than a few funny moments. He was enjoyable to watch. Yeah, he was. And he was, you know, he was the joke at times as well. Yeah. I found Lizzie McGuire's dad to be so unlikable in 1996. <laughs> he is so moody and miserable. The whole film takes himself so seriously. He, he looks like he's he's trying. He's like he wants an Oscar, but in a different film, like he's so serious. He, I think he forgot he was in a cheap B movie. I think he did. Yeah, remake. Um, yeah, I think he maybe took it a little too seriously, uh, and I just. I know him as the goofy dad from Lizzie yeah. McGuire. So it was hard to see him in any other light, particularly yeah. with um, the the sort of rugged beard. Yeah. Uh, I just think they wanted Chuck Norris. I think so. Type. I think so. Uh, the Fish Doctor, our female lead. We have Dr. Drake in 1980, played by Anne Turkle. Melody Duncan, played by uh, Donna Frotcher in They Bite. And Dr. Drake, again, played by Emma Sands in 1996. I feel like Dr. Drake in the original needed more screen time. Yeah. But she does, you know, she does a good job in what she has. She has a couple of one-liners, yeah. but she's not the most interesting character. I also feel that way about Emma Sams yeah. in the remake. I don't think either characters develop that no. much. They have a purpose. They come in. 
they say what they need to say, they do what they need to do. Um, I think Dr. Drake in the remake gets a little more and obviously gets that scene at the end. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. She also uh, gives the exact same energy as the mum from Ghostwatch. That is very true. Very true. That, that's all I could think of whenever she was on screen. Um, Melody Duncan, though, absolutely knocks it out of the park. Queen. Amazing lead character. Um, fully rooting for her the whole time. Strong female lead that all of the that both of your films needed. Like she took charge and it was her film. Yeah. And she she made that clear. Definitely. Of course Melody Duncan is is the winner. Absolutely. Um so we not choose winners favours. Did we not? No. Oh okay, well Mal Duncan. <laughs> but yeah. Mal, Mal Well that's true. Actually. Mal Duncan's always winning. Yeah, Mal Duncan <laughs> for the win. Um supporting female character. So we've got Carol in nineteen eighty, um, played by Cindy Wantrop. Weintraub? Weintraub. Weintraub. Sounds better. Uh, Tammy, played by Christina, Veronica, and Nate Bight. And <laughs> barely knew her. Kim Parker, played by Daniel Weeks in uh, Danielle Weeks in 1996. Um, so let's get out of the way. Kim we- uh, Kim Parker. No, why is she even there? Um, she's just, just a damsel in distress, isn't she? An Alicia Silverstone wannabe. Who actually gets it on with Christian, so... Um, yeah, yeah, she's missing for most of the film. Uh, I I really liked Carol in the original. I thought she was a, a strong character. Slays at the end. Yeah, didn't have a lot to do until the end mm-hmm. when she came into her own. It was nice. In the featurette, they said, "Oh, you know, Roger Corman always has these strong female characters." <laughs> and I'm like, he didn't in this film for three quarters of it. Yeah, really? oh, they made a massive point about that scene. They're like, oh, they acted like that's the first time a woman's ever fought. Fought back against anything. Yeah. Jesus. But then, of course, we have Britney Snow in X meets Madonna. It's Tammy. Tammy. Absolute queen with a capital Q that owns her sexuality. We absolutely love to see it. You know, she demands more pay. She gets what she wants. She's just amazing. Amazing character. Yeah, and a really good comedic actress. Yeah. You know, a good comedic performance. Yeah, yeah, re- really love that character. Yeah. Tell me is the winner. Definitely. And finally, we have the supporting male character, uh, Johnny Eagle, in the original, uh, played by Anthony Pena. Sam, in They Bite, played by George Mazzoni. And Matt, of course, in 1996, played by Justin Walker. Um, Anthony Pena is a sympath- sympathetic character. Um, who gets his own interesting storyline that isn't quite fleshed out as much as it could be. Yeah. And that adds to the social commentary side of things. Not a fan of how it ends with the whole racism being cured. There we go. Um, George Mazzone constantly acts like he's doing a uh, Joe Pantoliano uh, impression, (laughs) but he's funny. Really funny. It is funny. You know, he's a parody of Roger Corman and he's hilarious to watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, Justin Walker's also hilarious to watch. He is, but Dude. for all the wrong reasons. For all the wrong reasons. Um, playing it straight in more, sen- more than one sense of the word. Uh, it doesn't work. <laughs> it, it, no. <laughs> Bless him. And we really like Justin Walker. We, we yeah. you know, obviously huge fans of Clueless. Um, but maybe it just wasn't the role for him. No. <laughs> Um, but yeah, 
I mean, for me, it has to go to Sam from, from Nate Bight, just because he's entertaining to watch. Yeah, very entertaining, very funny. It would have been I Johnny Eagle. I would like it to have been Johnny But Eagle, he's just not given enough. But I just, I feel like that could have been fleshed out more. So. Who are your favourite humanoids? My favourite humanoids were from the original. No. You mean in, in the way, the suits? Um, Whichever way. I mean, the suits are definitely the best in the original. Yeah. Um, I I prefer, the, for me, the day bite ones, because they're not really... Oh, if we're going cheesy, campy, yeah. then yeah, they bite. Oh, I, I I thought you meant the way they look. But the way they look is absolutely the special effects yeah. side yeah. of it. Um, but yeah, so our overall winner is They Bite. Yeah. Parody. I... <laughs> Technically not a remake, but it wins. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting because obviously it didn't win in cinematography, scares, kills, or soundtrack. No. So, but obviously they're geared more towards horror. Yeah. And it's not really a horror film. No. It's comedy first and foremost, which is why it wins with the characters. Yeah. Because it's a much better film because it has much better characters. Yes. I'm more invested. I care more about the plot. It keeps my interest. Do I have to say this every podcast episode? Yes. And I will continue to say that. Yeah. Um, so for our final awards, biggest queen of all three films, of course, it's porn star Tammy. It is Nate Tammy. Bite. It is Tammy. A biggest gasp for me, uh, aside from obviously the sexual assault in the original, biggest gasp has to be that humanoid vagina in Nabi. Yeah. Yes, that is true. I mean, I just, I really didn't see that coming. Best dialogue. Do you know who I was played by? <laughs> George W. Bush. <laughs> really? Uh, best dialogue. I like wine callers. <laughs> <laughs> the random teenager in they buy. Anyway, what's yours? What's your, what, is your biggest queen, Tammy, as well? Yeah, of course. Biggest yeah. guest, the vagina. The vagina. Yeah, no, I completely agree with those. Best dialogue. Uh, best dialogue is wine. <laughs> That's camp, uh, the model photo shoot in the opening scene of They Bite. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one, but I also have to say the um, melody topless lady fights. That was camp. During the yeah. wet t-shirt contest. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd go with that one. Our ratings for all three films, I give 1986 accidental flare explosions out of 10. Um, I give the original six perfectly far-forceted wigs <laughs> out of ten. I give They Bite seven wine callers out of ten. I give They Bite seven um, sun cream rubbing <laughs> boobs out of ten. And I give Humanoids 96 five Friends of Dorothy out of ten. <laughs> friends of Dorothy. I give Humanoids from the Deep six, uh, 1996, oh. six ugly floral dresses out of ten. Uh, if you'd like to watch these films, the original is available on 88 Films Blu-ray and Video On Demand. They Bite is available on YouTube, so is the 1996 version, which is also available on DVD and video on demand. If you enjoyed the original in 1996, I recommend watching Jaws, because you'll have a much better time. 
if you enjoyed watching the original in 1996, I recommend watching Piranha. Yes. If you enjoyed They Bite, then I'm not going to recommend a good film, but I will recommend the trash to piece. I recommend you watch Aquanoids. And if you enjoy Aquanoids, listen to our episode on it. Ah. When's that? Discussed Aquanoids. Oh, Aquanoids, yeah. <laughs> oh, we discussed yeah. that a year ago. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, we watched so many fucking films. Um, yeah, if you enjoyed They Bite, I would recommend watching Piranha 3D. Yeah. I would. Yeah, yeah, you know, it, it does a very yeah. similar thing. It does. It does. That's it for our original versus remake episode for this month. Which one do you guys prefer? Let us know on social media. We're Horacult Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Horacult Trash on Twitter. I'm Dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd. Gazmo205 on Instagram. And GazCruise92 on Twitter. I am Chris Barker823 on Letterboxd and Instagram. And uh, if you enjoyed what you heard here, then go and give us a rate review and subscribe on iTunes like fun and everything else and a rating on Spotify yes please but before we go anywhere almost forgot it's time for best and worst of the month I'm, how embarrassing I can't believe you forgot that uh, well the reason I forgot that is because we're recording a little in advance we have an event coming up <laughs> Yeah, we don't sit down... Shh, we'll tell you a secret. We're not live, so every we time don't... you listen to us, we're not sat here talking to <laughs> On you. On demand. Um, yeah, certain event coming up, we will be attending a Fright Fest like we do every year. Um, and that is coming up on this week. Right, if you're listening, it's currently happening right now. Um, but we're also going to be doing a little bit of a spin-off on YouTube called Talking Shit with Horror Court Trash Over. I mean, what else are we going to call it? Um, and our first one will be released a week today, uh, on Friday, where we will be discussing our highlights from Fright Fest. Yes. So, yeah. Really so, looking forward to that. Yeah. So, you're not getting half the story. You're going to get the other half next week. Um, but for now, best of the month, I have a tie. A tie? Now, this is best in new it's, releases, of it's course. It's a tie. It is. Um, of course, we discuss our best new releases. Uh, if you're new, it's a tie between Fire of Love and Nope. Yes. So Fire of Love, um, a documentary about a vo about volcanoes um, that is so much better than I expected it to be. Yeah, because it's not just about volcanoes. It's about, you know, partnership. Yeah, it was. It surprised me. Yeah, I mean, I knew that it was going to be about this couple who yeah. dedicated their lives to volcanoes, um, and I knew that all. Yeah, that's not really the point. It's a, it's a documentary. It's based on real life, um, but eventually they died. Yeah, within that pursuit of learning. Yeah, about volcanoes as much as possible. Um, I didn't realize how hard an emotion mm. it would be um really well made it is really interesting story a very human yeah. story it, it only uses the visuals that they filmed um back yeah. in the day and the visuals are stunning yeah looks incredible and speaking of looking incredible again nope was fantastic 
absolutely fantastic. Jordan Peele doing what he does best again. Uh, this time with sci-fi horror comedy as well, and it's just amazing. Never yeah, misses. Really, really enjoyed. Nope. Um, I know it's you know split people, but well, it's fine. Yeah, you know we really enjoyed it. Yeah, and um, if, if your taste is similar to ours, then you'll probably enjoy it too. Yeah, your best of the month. Same. Or... Mine would yeah. Mine would be fire of love. Fire of love. Yeah. Um. So worst of the month, I assume it's going to be the same. Yes. It is. Bullet train. Very disappointing. Bullet train. A film set in Japan that would rather laugh at Japanese culture than make the most of it. It it's I don't know if it's laughing at it, but it's. Its setting is in Japan, mm. and it takes from Japanese culture, you know, a culture that we very much respect. Yeah, but doesn't really showcase it. That's that's how I felt. I felt like it. It's a film that just happens to be yeah set in Japan, and there's no real main Japanese characters until much later on in the film. Yeah. Um, and it, I was just a little disappointed. Mm. I, I was hoping for something that was maybe reminiscent of classic Japanese yeah. cinema. No, it, it just wanted to be the MCU. That's all it wanted to it do. Did. Let's face it. It felt, it felt forced. It was way too long. Mm. Um, I was just really disappointed yeah. by it. I really was. Some honourable mentions. We have Prey, which I fucking loved. That is how you make the best Predator sequel. The, the best Predator film, I think, is better than the original. It's Ooh, uh, amazing. Controversial. Predator with a fem strong female lead. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, I liked Prey. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was enjoyable. Yeah. I can see why some people don't like it, though. I can see that. Because it's not got a masculine. No, lead. it's because it it takes it in a much different direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and if if people were expecting the original film, which you know they're justified in thinking, mm -hmm. then I can see why they would be disappointed. Yeah, but it mostly has actually had a really good uh, reception. reception. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I I can see it getting some sort of sequel yeah. or something. The Swordsman of All Swordsmen. Yeah, really random. Uh, well, not not really random. Well, it is really. But being able to, obscure. you know, being able to watch it um, at here in Manchester, England. Um, Tom from here, uh, from Manchester, England, a place called Home. They have a Taiwanese martial arts cinema. Mm hmm season on the go like, yeah. this is a very long episode uh, <laughs> glad to lose it <laughs> yeah yeah um sometimes aunt martha does dreadful things that was really great uh <laughs> yeah. camp camp 70s court cool. yeah. yeah um wicked world trash the uh trash the piece uh honorable mention one of the most bizarre things i've ever seen very strange, very entertaining, yeah. very stupid. Um, <laughs> so then we did a bit of a Dario Argento marathon in preparation for watching 
Dark Glasses at Fright Fest. Some of the better films have been Pouts, his Masters of Horror uh, episode, Stendhal Syndrome, uh, Sleepless, which is top 10 Argento for me. It's so good. Yeah, I would say that's his last really yeah, great film. It is. It is. Um, but I, I didn't mind The Card Player, Do You Like Hitchcock. I thought both of those were thoroughly entertaining. Uh, not always for the right reasons, but, you know, way better than they than the reputation would have you believe. Um, yeah, really entertaining films. Deathstalker 2. Better than the original. Better than the original. Better than the original. And finally, one that's specifically just for me, one a film that Chris really needs to see uh, is Orphan First Kill. The prequel to Orphan, that is Camp as Tits. And just absolutely batshit crazy in every way possible. I, and, and often didn't really need a follow-up. It works on its own. But this justifies it with... It's just so entertaining. So ridiculous. Is it stupid? So stupid. Just, it is so stupid. stupid and camp. But through design. But with a really fucking good twist as well. Mm -hmm. um, I mean... All I need to tell you is Julia Stiles and uh, Elizabeth, um, Isabel Furman facing off against one another. It's the campus thing you'll see all year. It's, yeah. But Isabel Furman, you know, pretending to be that a childlike character. It's, yeah. You need to see it. People need to see it. it it's, it's fantastic. That's the original verse remake done for this month. Yes. Next month, we will be discussing both versions of the Amateurville Horror. Ooh. Yeah. Is that like just men with beards in their underpants? Yes, yeah. yeah. I'm preparing you for the month of October. Uh, and Tuesday will be ending Summer Screams with my personal, and spoiler alert, my personal favourite of all the films we've watched this month. One of the greatest discoveries we've ever found for this podcast. <laughs> the Horrors of Party Beach. Yeah, As mentioned in They Bite. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, if you haven't seen it before listening to our episode, please go on YouTube and watch it. Do yourself a favour. You need to see it. It's yeah. a must watch. And we'll be back same time, same place on Tuesday. Bye. Bye.